Remember, if uh, you're interested in the newcomers class, that is, if you're new to our church and you want to find out about our church and what it believes and so forth, you just want to be introduced to the church, there's a newcomers class that's meeting across the hall in room two. Room two across the hall, the newcomers class. We're happy to have today as our speaker in the second hour, Nathan Ida. Nathan is a native of India. He's here with his wife, Jen, and his daughter, and uh, his four-year-old daughter and his wife, Jen. Nathan uh, came to the United States. He's a native of India. He came to the United States to study and was going to stay here, but the Lord has directed him back to India Uh, to plant churches. He came and studied at the seminary and graduated from the seminary where I taught for many years, even though I'm still a very young guy. I taught there many years, and uh, he graduated from there. And uh, so I've known Nathan Ida for a while and appreciate his desire to go back to India because he'll maybe explain that to us uh, of course, India is a closed country. You can't really go there as a missionary and as an American, you can't go there as a missionary. So we're very thankful that he can go back and for what he's planning to do there. And he'll tell us about that. So it's very good to have uh, Nathan with us here today. And Nathan, thank you. Come and uh, give us your presentation. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> Good morning. My name is Nathan. I am from India. Uh, My wife's name is Jen, and she should be here somewhere. And uh, my daughter's name is Asha. There she is, uh, beautiful as can be. And uh, brownie points for me there. So um, thank you for having me this morning. Uh, Appreciate you. I don't know if you know, but you as community have already been a huge help for me, Nathan. Uh, I'm currently pastoring a church in Ann Arbor, and it's called Ann Arbor Chinese Christian Church. So I'm an Indian guy in a Chinese church in America. Uh, and how I ended up there is, is pretty interesting. I was a guest speaker at that church, and they told me, hey, uh, we're looking for a youth pastor. Would you be interested? I said, nope, not interested because I plan on going back to India. And they said, uh, okay. And then uh, a week later, they said, hey, how about just apply? Don't, don't, uh, don't uh, cut us off right off the bat. Just apply. And I said, nope, not going to apply. I'm going back to India. And then another email a week later and said, uh, would you consider applying? So I said, told my wife, you know what? <clears throat> I've never been through the pastoral application process ever. And we don't have one of those things in India. In India, when you be a pastor, you don't have a database to go to and see where exactly can I get a job. Um, it's, it's like, okay, you're a pastor. Now figure out where you're going from here, you know. And so I said to my wife, I'm going to apply just to see what the process is like. And so I applied online and uh, uh, a week later they called me and said, okay, we've narrowed it down. And I was expecting them to say, you're not making the cut. But they said, well, we're down to 10 people and you're one of the 10 that we have on our list. So I said, uh, 10 folks, I'm an Indian. I have a strong, I used to have a strong accent. I still can bring it out every once in a while, you know, and they're a Chinese church. I mean, I'm not getting the job. So I said, okay, cool. Let me know what happens. Well, then they called me back and said, we're down to the three more candidates and you're the final three out of which two of them are once Taiwanese and once Chinese. I'm like, 
I'm Indian. I'm not getting the job, right? So <laughs> a week later, they said, well, we want to co- have you come over because now we're down to you. And I'm like, uh, what in the world is going on? <laughs> you know, uh, I, and I said, well, I, I hope you know, I'm going to let the pastoral search committee know that I am really not interested <laughs> because I'm planning to go back to India. They said, you know, just come down and talk to us. I said, okay. So uh, the first time I went over there, I had a conversation with the Chinese parents. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about Chinese culture. The parents are very involved in their kids' lives. Uh, some of the kids would say a little too involved, but they are involved. And so we had uh, a discussion with the parents, and I was answering questions without any hesitation because I'm like, I ain't getting the job, you know. So I'm not applying for the job. I'm not even interviewing for the job. I'm just here to tell them what I believe. So I just let them have it, you know. I mean, they asked me about their their stands on things, and I, I pointed out a few things I would change, and I'm like, okay, after this interview, never going to happen, you know. So then they took me to the deacons, and the deacons told me uh, that uh, we're looking for a youth pastor. What do you think about that? I said, well, there is no youth pastor position in the Bible, is there? And I said, can you show me in the Bible where there is uh, something that says so-and-so was a youth pastor? And so he said, no, uh, I can't. And I said, so I, I really, I don't believe in the position that you asked me to apply for. I believe in the pastoral position, and I believe in certain responsibilities that pastors would have. So I would come in primarily as a pastor, and if the youth is my focus, that's what I would do, and that's what I told them. And then they said, uh, I, I, after that, I knew they weren't going to have me because I didn't have youth pastor experience. I'm not the attractional youth ministry leader. What I mean by attractional youth ministry is that if you li- look at the history of youth ministry in the U.S., a lot of times what people tend to do is they have things that are directed particularly to the youth, uh, whether it's music or, or games or, or uh, anything. Okay, and so here I'm thinking, well, musically, if you want to get rid of a few people from your church, call me on for special music, all right? You will get rid of a few, few people. Game-wise, look at me. I can't even get up from a couch, man. And they want me to play games with them, you know? And so over here, uh, like preaching-wise, I just stick to the Bible. I have no like attractional, I have no cool stories, no jokes. I just stick to the Bible. I'm not getting the job. Well, then they call me in front of the entire church. Everybody having questions for me. How do you deal with youth and their special circumstance? And I said, the youth special circumstance is my special circumstance. We need, we need Jesus, you know? And so I knew, I knew we weren't vibing, if, if you know what I mean. And so after that, they said, we'll take a vote. And I'm like, not getting the job. Well, they got a vote and they said 98% of the church decided to take me on. And I'm asking myself, what do we do now? So I talked to my wife and I said, what do we do? And I said, I was very clear with them. I'm not going to be here. Even if I'm in this church, I'm not going to be here for more than three years. And so, uh, is that okay? And they said, uh, you know, that's fine. We don't know where we're going to be in three years time. So come on down. And so we took on that job. And when I went there, I went as a youth pastor, but I realized quickly that the Chinese church they do their morning services in Mandarin, which is the language of uh, China. And and the, uh, they had an afternoon service for English folks, uh, people interested in learning English or people that speak English. But unfortunately, the English folk had just lost their pastor. So I ended up uh, trying to do the English congregation with a bunch of teens. And it was very weird because you would get teens come up after Sunday school and they'd sort of set their, you know, chair, you know, their tap on it. And positions themselves just to have an hour-long nap, you know. It wasn't church. 
it wasn't church. And so I said, you know, I need to ask somebody who's experienced in sort of a church planting way so that I can plant this church here in Ann Arbor. The potential is huge. And that's when I called your pastor, Pastor Brown, because uh, I knew that he, he was a well-thought-out guy. And he, he, he went through the process with me of, of how he planted a church. And I asked him if you would come and speak to our leaders. And so I organized something called team leadership training in which I called your pastor. And he's been doing that for the past two years. And so you guys, community, has been serving us through your pastor already. And it's been phenomenal for us. Yeah, your pastor thinks through everything there is to think about, you know, and uh, he's, he's very particular. I'm like the opposite spectrum. You know, I, I'm just here to have a p- good party. You know, I, I, all these like where the plates, where the drinks go, all that. I, I don't even think about it. Let's, let's just have a party, you know, but your pastor, he's right over here. If there's a party, he's thinking about when people enter in what to do and then where do we want them to be? after the party, you know, so he's thinking about everything, and so he was really valuable for me. <clears throat> I came to the U.S., as uh, Dr. Combs mentioned, to do my pre-medical degree. I uh, I, w- I was uh, an average student, but I, I knew if I put my mind to it, I could do it. Uh, in sophomore year of my Bible college at Pillsbury Baptist Bible College, which is now closed, uh, there was a preacher that uh, said, uh, he, he was actually a businessman who then became a preacher, and he asked us this question, which stuck with me. He said, you know, when you do investments, like in this world, when you have investments, whether a 401k or something like that, you're always expecting a return on investment, whether 3% or 4%, and if you get 10%, that's like, wow, unheard of. So you're always looking for a return on investments. That's why you have investments, right? That's a good investment. But then he said, from a Christian perspective, uh, your, 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 your definition of time is sort of not, not confined to this, this age. We live forever, right? And, and, and we live for bigger and better things, right? And so he said, so if, if we're investing life here, how does it invest so you have a good return through eternity, not just at the end of your life? 80, 90, 100 years, you know? How do you invest so that you have eternal uh, return on investment. And that's when I thought about uh, becoming a preacher. Th- there's two things I told myself. One, I will never be a preacher because uh, my dad was a preacher. And as a preacher's kid, I didn't quite like the idea of uh, being under the scanner of people all the time. I wanted to do just what I want, right? And so I didn't want to be a preacher. Two, I told myself, I'm never going on deputation because what an awkward thing to do. And it is awkward. I mean, you come as a missionary, people don't know you. You want to make a good impression. And so it's kind of like making a sale. And I didn't like that. I, I, there was some kind of purity to the gospel that I didn't want to lose by asking for money, you know, by making. And so the two things I said I would never do, that's what I'm doing now. I'm a pastor and I'm here to raise funds for deputation. So God, as Pastor Brown in this morning service says, God, God is in control. And he does things, and sometimes you laugh about it at the end of the day. While you're in the process, you're crying about it. But when it's done, you're like, oh, praise God. He has a plan, you know, for somebody as wretched as I am. So, yeah, we are the Edas. We're going to India. I met my wife in Minnesota. Uh, people ask me, okay, how did you meet your wife? I, I met her while playing volleyball. I saw her just stand up and spike that ball. And I was like, I got to marry this girl, you know. She can spike that ball real good, you know. So it was a youth youth activity and we used to play uh play volleyball and uh she she was really good at it that was one of the reasons i wanted to marry her but the second reason was uh she's really pretty if you look back there you know and embarrass her a little bit <laughs> so and then after that 
uh, her call, uh, her, she, she knew the Lord, which is very important for me, uh, involved in the local church, so very important for me. And uh, I told her right off the bat, even before dating, that, hey, I plan on going to India. So if this, if, if you don't feel like you're going to be in India, this is not going to work. And so we decided that she would go to India without me as a support system to make things easy for her. I wanted her to go so that my parents could observe her and see how she acts or reacts to things. And so she ended up going without me to India for four weeks and stayed with my parents. And so that was an interesting uh, experiment that we did. And my parents kind of liked her and uh, they, they talked to me about it. She liked India so much that she said, yeah, uh, hey, I, I wish the time didn't, uh, you know, fly away so fast. Four weeks just went by. And then she told, then I, then I told her, maybe, maybe the Lord will give you that wish. And he sure did because 14 miles from my house to the airport took her three and a half hours, uh, because of the rain and the traffic. And so her flight got canceled, but, uh, so she had, had to stay there for another week. And so she stayed there for five weeks. Uh, uh initially it was awkward because, uh, nobody knew what our, we don't really date in India. Uh, we have something called arranged marriages, right? Uh, that's where you tell your mom, hey, find me somebody pretty, okay? I'm done with my degree. I have a job. I can take care of it. Just find me somebody pretty. And so what your mom does for you as a guy or a girl is show you a pi- bunch of pictures. And you shortlist them to three pictures. Go visit them. Uh, have an interview. And if you if you have a good uh, feeling about it, you say, hey, let's get married. And so that's what... That's what we do, you know, in India. And so that's what, that's the route probably I was heading for. Uh, although I don't know if I want my mom to pick my wife. I don't even let her pick my clothes. So, uh, but, but, but that's what they do over there, you know. And so I thought that's the direction I was heading. But uh, when they met Jen and they saw her heart for the Lord, uh, and they knew that I liked her, they, they gave us our, uh, their approval. And so that's how we ended up getting married. And, uh, and they ended up at Ann Arbor Chinese Christian Church. Um, I always knew I wanted to go back to India. There was no like, Arbor, you have to go to India. No, nothing like that. I didn't, I didn't have, have any of that. Uh, that's where I grew up. That's, I know these people. Um, and people know me. And, uh, I know that the need is great. There's 1.3 billion people in India. Um, and we're gonna, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, surpass China's population pretty soon. And then some people from India are like, yay! And I'm like, no, that's not a good thing. Uh, because we don't have the infrastructure for 1.3 billion people, let alone more. You know, and India is five times the U.S.'s population, one-third the size of U.S. So here you have one-third the size of U.S. putting five times the population of the U.S. in this small area. And so even if you have great infrastructure, it just cannot be maintained, you know, because you have so many people. Not just that, India is very diverse. You have people from various backgrounds, different languages. You, We live in one state. If you went one state north of us, which is Gujarat, they speak a different language that I don't understand. And let me tell you, they're very proud of their language and their heritage. So you can't go in trying to change them, right? So India is so diverse, which means that our, our, we, we sometimes are not as unified as we ought to be, you know. And so it's a difficult area to work in. But, but I, I grew up there, and so I said, I'm going to go and work in India. So that's a little bit about me. Jen and Asha, uh, we are going with a group called Global Gospel Connections. We're being sent out by Global Gospel Connections, which was started by a church that is a church plant in Hamtramck by another DBTS grad, Jay Searcy. And he uh, started this church in Hamtramck, Michigan. 
And uh, we went and worked with him for a year and a year and a half uh, to in his particular church plan. And even before they launched as a church, we helped them uh, do the constitution and that kind of thing. So I was involved in the church planning uh, initially. And so we started this uh, organization called Global Gospel Connections, which is geared towards serving the church with their missionaries. And so that's the main point, main idea for GGC or Global Gospel Connections is that we are here to serve the church. We're not here to parallel the church or we're not here to be above the church. We're here to serve the church uh, though any way that it would need. And so uh, we just got our uh, 501c3 status, which is awesome because if you give to GGC, it's now all tax exempt in the IRS. So that's a little bit about us. I have a little bit of a video. Please uh, watch it and then we'll go through what we're planning to do. God has given me the privilege of, of going to India, where I was born. 17% of the world's population lives in India. We got over a billion people. And a lot, a number of religions find their birthplace in India. It has an ancient culture, thousands of years old. There's Sikhs over there, there's, there's Muslims, there's Hindus. There's Buddhists. You see, India is a land of philosophies and intellectual thought, intellectual pursuits. I love the people of India. I grew up there for, for my whole life and, and we're known to be very hospitable people in India. We, we love to share our food, share our culture. And, and yes, we have our problems, but that problem is a humanity problem. The problem is this problem of sin. You see, you see, pleasure is not found in technology. Pleasure is not found in things. Uh, and, and in India, we're trying to pursue these things. Technology, uh, the latest technology and the, the latest science effects and, and the latest ways to think about uh, modern day science. And, and it's basically secular thought that doesn't want anything to do with God. And, and, and as we pursue these things, we think we're making a difference. But the only difference that we can really make is through the person of Jesus Christ. That, that's the only difference that, that we can make in society, and that's the only difference we need to make in society. Are these pursuits of science and technology a bad thing? No, they're great. But without Jesus, again, it's a pursuit of futility. That, that is not what satisfies man. It's God who satisfies man. And so I have the privilege of going to India and, and trying to be uh, this this good citizen in India, paying my taxes, uh, meeting people on a regular basis and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Showing them that there's a way out of futility and that there's a bigger purpose. Through the word of God, through the authority of the Bible, teaching what Jesus taught and living in a way that Jesus lived. You, you must have heard of number of missionaries who are going to India. Number of, number of people that are now uh, establishing um, authentic ministries in India. And, and my goal is, is not to duplicate what they're doing necessarily, but, but, but my goal is to reach those that, that don't know Christ at all. Uh, you know, or go to the urban settings where people are most concerned. There's a 
densely populated areas in urban settings and go to these urban settings, share Christ, and, 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 and produce authentic local churches that reproduce other local churches. The other goal is also to train young young guys and, and within the next 10 years, pray for me as, as I try to train 10 guys from 10 different strategic locations in India. You see, India is so unique in that South India is, is full of the gospel. People are there in South India sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ on a continual basis. But, but North India and, 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 and the middle of India and Northeast India, some, some of Northeast India is, is really difficult. The Western area or just a really difficult areas uh, because they are so hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I want to do is train guys from these areas, these strategic locations, 10 different areas, to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ while they receive good, sound, biblical training and teaching. And my wife, Jen, wants to be involved with little kids in the orphanage. And this is such a great opportunity to share Christ with kids at a young age. And so that God can use the gospel to transform them, uh, the, the Holy Spirit can, to, can give them new birth and the miracle of regeneration can take place at an early age so that they, they can find meaning and purpose in life at an early age. And so that's the goal in India is to make good followers of Jesus Christ by sharing the good news of Jesus, that, that they don't need to pursue futility, but they can perfect, pursue Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then they can worship Him, and by worshiping Him, find true joy and satisfaction. Pray for us, the eaters, as we go to India. God bless you. So, my outline is just pretty simple. I'm going to talk about the past condition, future glory and present command past condition future glory and present command uh i'm going to go a little bit out of order and so if you're add about those kind of things i'm just letting you know right off the bat that i'm going to talk about the past condition first the future glory next and then what we do in the present because here's how my mind works right i want to know where i'm going and so that sort of determines what i do today and so that's why I want us to see the future glory before we decide what we're going to do today. God has given us certain certain commands for today as believers and as a church. But that's that's leading to somewhere. So I want to deal with that before we get to the present command. And so here's my main idea today. I know it's a little long sentence, but here's my main idea. Disciples of Jesus experience God's grace when they are saved from their sin. They experience God's grace when they're saved from their sin. And then, because of that, they extend God's grace by making and maturing disciples of Jesus until His coming kingdom. So that's the main idea, that we have experienced God's immeasurable grace. I stand here a sinner saved by grace. Uh, I was a wretched sinner, even though I grew up in a Christian family with a dad who was a pastor and a mom who was a Sunday school teacher. I was a wretched sinner. right? And, and the old adage about pastor's kids being the most notorious applied to me. Okay, uh, my Sunday school teacher used to go to my mom and say, what do we do with him? And my mom used to say, when you find out, let me know. You know, so <laughs> I was a notorious kid and I, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't, and, the, and, and I was acting out, but I didn't have Jesus. Uh, my heart was depraved. Jeremiah uh, 17, 9 applied to me. It was deceitful and I was deceiving myself 
that, that just because I grew up in a Christian family, that somehow, you know, that grace spilled over from my parents onto me. You know, it was like an overflow grace, which wasn't the case. I was in and of myself dead in my sins and trespasses. And so the past condition from Romans is that here's what Paul concludes. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? And he's talking about advantage over the, uh, over the Gentiles, the Jews that is. Do they have advantage over the Gentiles? He says, not at all. I have no advantage over uh, the Gentiles. Jews have no advantage over the Gentiles. We're all the same. And this is what he says, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. We are under this power of sin. And what is sin? Sin is your act or disposition or state against a holy God. That is sin. And so unless we get to a state where I'm, I'm saying, God, yes, I am a sinner. We, we don't understand what the purpose of life is. We don't understand what the meaning of life is. We are sinners in, before a holy God. And, and, and not, not just the kind of sinners like, yeah, I do bad things, you know. I, I do bad things. And that's why I said action and disposition, right, or state. <clears throat> it's not just I do bad things. I am bad. I am a bad person. I am an evil person. Romans says that I, I, I was actively seeking uh, to do enmity with God. I, I was a pursuant of enmity with God. That was my natural state. Without God, okay? I was not in this neutral, semi-neutral phase where all I needed was a push towards Christianity and I would become a Christian. I needed a new heart. I needed regeneration to take place because my heart was deceiving itself and it was an active enemy of God. Now, some of us have what we call an inner lawyer, right? And here's what happens when messages are preached that convict us. The inner lawyer comes out and you start saying, I'm not that bad. Well, look at so-and-so. That person's really bad, right? You, you think I'm as bad as Hitler? I don't think so. Right, And so what I want to say to you is, you know, you might not be as bad as Hitler because we don't go as bad. We don't go, we don't do every, we don't do evil as to its, to its infinite, infinite extent. Right. But we have a disposition that is evil towards God against his moral law. Right. And all of us are in that state, including Indian people. And so let me just explain from a Hindu perspective, since I'm going to a Hindu uh, nation, primarily a Hindu nation, Hindus believe that they are actually good, right? And they are actually doing good things, right? And so their, their life starts operating in the wrong way right off the bat. Because they feel they are good people. That they are, people are generally good. And when you're in that state of mind or frame of mind, you become the focus of attention, not God. Right? And then whatever actions you do, they're coming from a place of not, not just, I want to do this as worship to my creator. It comes from a place of altruism or it comes from a place of, I just want to do good and make good the end of it all. That ultimately, I just want to do good. You know, and then the, the, then the good becomes the idol. So from a Hindu perspective, they don't even believe that people are evil. They don't believe that people are active pursuance of God, are active pursuance of evil against God. They don't believe that, right? And so uh, right off the bat, you can see how we have an insurmountable gap just from a, from a human perspective between a Hindu and me. 
When I go off, when, when you share the gospel with people, they say you can't get them saved until they know they're a sinner, right? Until they accept they're a sinner, you can't get them saved. That's the old adage. And they don't believe they're a sinner. They believe they do bad things, but they believe that their good outweighs the bad, right? And I thought this was just a Hindu problem, but it is actually a humanity problem, isn't it? We all think we are good. We look at the person next to us, I'm not as bad as them, and we do this comparison thing, or we let our inner lawyer out and we start arguing about why we're not that bad. You know, we have to start, and it's not just this guilt, right, that, hey, I feel bad about doing things. It's, 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 a, it's a true state of affairs. This is reality, folks. It's not just based on your feeling. If you're feeling that way, it's because it's true, right? You, ha- you are an active enemy of God, right? That's our condition. That's where we're at. But the future is pretty bright for Christians, specifically and only for Christians. The future is bright. Why? Look at 1 John uh, 3. Here's what he says. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Remember what I just said about me? I was an active enemy of God. Without God and without hope in this world. So it's not just a state of being even. It's, it's a feeling of hopelessness. I'm doing all these things and there's a feeling of hopelessness. So I work in Ann Arbor and we, we, we graduated Tom Brady. Uh, some people would argue one of the best quarterbacks of his time. Some people would say, I just hate that guy, you know. So, but, but Tom Brady, he, he, he was in an interview, uh, before his Super Bowl and they asked him, hey, uh, so, you know, you got, uh, I think at that time, uh, when I, when, when I saw the interview, three, three Super Bowl rings and, and what do you, what do you, what are you gonna do? Like, uh, are you, when I, when is it going to be enough? When are you gonna say, uh, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, and he said, I've, I, just one more. I, I need just one more. And, and, and do you think that Tom Brady will be satisfied after 10 Super Bowls? I, I don't think so. And so here we are uh, chasing after the win, as Ecclesiastes says, to, to satisfy our souls. And it doesn't satisfy. Because God is meant to do that. And nothing even compares to God to, to satisfy us, you see. And so here in, in, the, Hindu, in the Hindu condition, we have, uh, we have no God. They have no God. But we, in a Christian condition, have God. We have that, 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 that person who satisfies our soul more than anything. Who, who, who gives us a new heart. Uh, and he's a perfectly beautiful being. Right? He's a perfectly moral being. Right? He never does evil. Not, neither does he know evil. He is a good God. Perfect in all of his being. And so when we pursue him, we are pursuing perfection. And he changes our hearts, so we start to do that. He says, now we are children of God. We have been taken away from the realm of darkness into his marvelous light. And we are now children of God. We were destitute, but now we are found by him. And what we will be has not yet been known. We we don't know yet what that means to its fullest extent. But we know that when Christ appears, Jesus is coming back. Listen, Christ is going to appear my hope will be made sight, right? Jesus, you know, let me just, you got to get excited about this. And I know I'm a little excitable, but you got to get excited. Here's the thing, right? When Jesus came the first time, he came as a suffering servant, right? He came to die on the cross. That was his mission. He was in obedience to the Father. He came to die for sinners who were justly deserving the wrath of God. But when he comes back the second time, he's coming as the sovereign 
king. On a, uh, the Revelation has this description of him on a white horse coming down, right? And, and he's going to take all that belongs to him back to him, including his people, right? And there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more struggling with our sin. Anybody struggle with your sin this morning? All right, uh, I did coming here. Uh, because uh, there's construction, and I always have a sanctification issue with construction. Because uh, you know we we don't get there on time, and and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like construction. What do we do, right? But we got here way early, which is not characteristic of an Indian. Just so you know, so don't even don't even look at the clock right now. I'm just telling you right off the bat, okay? Uh, but but here's the thing, I I I struggle with sin daily, and 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 you talk to my professors from DBTS. Yeah, right, Dr. Combs. I mean, they, I'm sure they have their struggles with sin, right? But there is going to be a day when we will be freed fully from any struggle to sin. We will be, the Bible says, glorified. We will be like Jesus. And when people talk about heaven as, as good things, you know, heaven is good because Jesus is there. You know, and we will all be bowing down. People from every tribe and every nation will be bowing down. Black people, white people, Chinese people, Indian people, all of us bowing down to King Jesus when he comes back. And that's the future we're heading to. So the victory is already ours. He says, he says, we shall be like him. What a great promise. We are going to be like Jesus one day. You know, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as Jesus or our Messiah is pure. So that's our future. Our future is a, 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 a sovereign king coming down and making everything right. A sovereign king coming down and establishing his kingdom forever and ever where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more conflict, no more sin to deal with. But what's a Hindu's future? Here's the Hindu future. The Hindu future is nirvana or as they call it, moksha. Moksha is when you evolve into nothingness. When, when you live your life to the helm of goodness, whereby you are now obliterated into oblivion. If you're like, that doesn't make sense. I, I, I'm with you. Okay? I mean, I mean imagine a, a life of pursuit of goodness only for the sake of becoming oblivious. What, what kind of life is, but that's their life. And so good and evil, things like good and evil, uh, they're, they're malleable. Uh, they, they, they can fix themselves as culture, uh, evolves. You know, there's no absolute, but you know what? Our Bible says there is a God who is good out of which we get good and evil. Absolute good and evil. And you know, the Hindu philosophy cannot consistently stand on itself. How can you tell somebody else they're doing something bad when it's malleable, when it's flexible? And so what we have in God is an absolute God who is good, absolutely good, you know. And so that's our future, but that's the Hindu's future into oblivion, right? And then what, because of all of that, here's the present command. The present command is this, that Jesus says, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, so because I have all the authority, so not just future glory, I don't just have the authority in the future, I have the authority now. I have authority now. How much authority? All authority. 
I have all authority now. Right? And because of that, therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we've heard this verse so many times. But do we recognize that, that no country, just because of his laws and powers, can hold back the gospel of Jesus Christ? So India might... India might be a closed country where you can't really go as a missionary, but it is still a country under the authority of Christ. And it still needs the gospel. And so we go because Jesus has told me to go. Right? Through the power of the, uh, the, the Jesus' throne, we are going. And we're going to go make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Not because some government says you can't do it or you can do it, but because of Jesus, you know. Let me just, a side note, and I've been in the U.S. for 14 years now, and I just want to, I just want to, as a, as a thing of warning to us as American Christians, you know, American Christianity is weird. Uh, and, and, and let me, let me tell you where I'm going with this, because you don't sacrifice anything to be a Christian here. You know, and, and then, and then, and, and, and then you take this freedom idea, and, and it's, it's great to have freedom. In fact, I wish India was more free for the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Because we want to see the gospel going out, right? But the, but, but with Indian Christians, when Indian people become Christians, they are giving up their whole old way of life. They're giving up sometimes valuable relationships. They're giving up their communities. And all they have then is the Christian community. That's all they have. They don't have anything else. Some of them lose their jobs because they have now become Christians. Some of them lose, lose their government benefits, health care and retirement because they are now Christians. We don't have that struggle here, do we? We don't have any of that struggle. Now, it doesn't mean that their Christianity is somewhere more valuable than ours because it's God still who saves us. But we have hardly made any sacrifices at all. We can actually come to community, sit around for the rest of our lives, think we're a Christian, and do nothing for Christ. And that's okay. See, the Bible talks about Christians with a new heart in terms of repentance. We turn away from our old ways. We go to the new and living God, the true and living God. That's what we're going towards, right? And He changes things, folks. If you have been a Christian for a long time, you have seen how God has miraculously saved you from your sin and has used Him, used you because of His glory. Because of Him, you are where you're at, right? And so we here need to understand what we have in Christ is fantastic. It is amazing. It is, it is, it is why we, we have this so that we can live for Christ. And so what are we going to do in India? There's three specific ministries where we're going to be involved in. Uh, I'll just tell you real quick. My dad is the one that started the ministry about 35 years ago. My dad wanted to, uh, uh, was, was a businessman. He wanted to uh, start a factory and, and he saw Time magazine had an article in its 19, I think 1980 about the city of Bombay. And it was a commercial a city, commercial capital of Bombay. And so they wanted to go to Mumbai city and, uh, reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, of course, uh, his uh, uncle told him it's a really difficult city. And he said, it doesn't matter. I, I, I want to go and share the gospel. Now, my dad was going from South India, so he didn't know the language there. And so he started learning the language uh, Hindi and he started going around the city of Mumbai. The way he started his church plant, though, was he went to a slum area. He surveyed the entire city of Bombay and he saw that in the slum area, kids were just walking around aimlessly. Some of them with like cycle, bicycle tires, hitting it around and running around because there was no education for them. So what he started doing is he, he started going to these slum areas and sharing the good news of Jesus with little kids. And before you know it, 150 kids used to come consistently every week while he shared the gospel to them uh, and obviously gave them some candy, right? And so after that, the parents are wondering, where are these kids, you know? Before that, they never wondered. Suddenly, they're wondering, where are they congregating? So the, ki- the parents started joining in, and God saved people through that ministry. And that was the establishment of the first local church in Mumbai City. From this church, there was another gentleman who used to come every week to church, and he told my dad, you know, I, you're from South India. This is North India. I have not been understanding a word you're saying, and I'm coming for the past four weeks. And my dad said... Wait, you didn't understand a thing I said, but you still keep coming. And he said, yes, I still keep coming. Can you start a church in our language group? And my dad said, can't start a church for one person, but we can do a Bible study of sorts. And he said, okay, let's do that. He brought five families the next week. And so in the morning, we used to have the morning services. and the afternoon, we used to have the second language services. It turned out where the second congregation or second church exploded, like... They had 300 people coming every Sunday, whereas the first church had uh, about a couple hundred. So that was the second church plant. And then we had people coming from an hour away in a city called New Bombay. We had three or four families coming from New Bombay. And so very recently, our church has launched out a team to go and plant a church in New Bombay. Uh, New Bombay has uh, has 7 million people, mostly middle class, upper middle class people, mostly young families uh, who cannot afford city uh, prices for uh, apartment rents and stuff. So they live there. And so they have started, uh, they have just uh, started to try and plant a church. So that's the beginning of this ministry. Okay. Next, uh, next, what we're going to do is we're going to go to a city where I was born, uh, where I lived. It was, it's called New Bombay in a city called Panvel. And, and, and we, Navi Mumbai, as you see over there. And we're trying, planning, planning to plant a, plant a church in this area because as I mentioned, there's seven million people there and we're expecting more people to come into the city because the government just approved a, a second international airport in Mumbai, maybe 10 minutes away from this particular city. So when we went to India this last time, it was a giant construction zone. Uh, people, commercial properties being built and, and residential properties being built. And so we're expecting an influx of people into this area. So with that core group that is already there, we want to start, try and plant a local church in this particular area that plants more healthy churches for the glory of God. And so what we're planning to do is basically go survey the area, talk to these uh, people that, that are willing to plant this church for uh, with us, uh, start Bible studies. And Pastor Ken Brown is going to be helping me immensely in this because I'll be doing his What's the Difference series, which you guys probably remember, right? So we'll be doing that 
Uh, we're going to build a solid team. Uh, so when we have maturity among our core group, that's when we will launch the church plant in Navi Mumbai with these families. So that's the idea with our church planning. And we want the church plant to plant more churches all over India, right? Our second ministry is Pioneer uh, Church Planning, and it's through Calvary Baptist Bible College and Seminary. Just real quick, this seminary was started by my dad in 1980, and it was an institute. And basically what had what had happened then was that they were kicked out of 11 different locations because people knew they were Christians. So we found this property way far away from the city, about an hour and a half, and we uh, constructed this. This is a local church-based ministry, which means that Candidates that we get are approved by their pastors, and they come here look, uh, to this Bible college solely for church planning and pastoral purposes. So we don't do anything else, but we teach Bible and how to study the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, how to uh, apply the Bible. That's what we teach at the Bible college and seminary. And so what we've, what we've noticed is, is these guys, they graduate, and then they leave, and there is no connection with them. You know, they just go, and, and they struggle by themselves, which can be a very lonely task as a uh, new graduate from Bible college. And so what we're trying to do is through pioneer church planting, we want to look at 10 guys every year. So right now the current enrollment is 120, out of which there's about 30 girls, right, who want to be pastor's wives, right? And then we got 90, you know, about 90 guys. So what we're trying to do out of these 90 guys is pick 10 guys who show that they have ability to learn the Bible and teach it with integrity, right? And these guys we want to send to urban areas. Urban areas in India were the least focused because it is expensive to live in an urban city in India, right? And and it is also a difficult area to reach because people are usually secular, in urban settings. They don't care about religion. They care about making money and taking care of their family. I was just talking to a brother outside here and he was telling me that he works for DTE and uh, he had an Indian guy who was an engineer who had a tough life in India as an engineer and it is that way in India. You know, I had a friend who his wife and him both are engineers working for a good company but with combined salaries they couldn't make ends meet. It was a paycheck to paycheck. And that's the life in India. It's a struggle, right? Even with a solid education. And so these guys, they don't have any way to structure their ministry or to help them plant a church. And so urban areas is where we want to go. That's where the people are. That's where we want to plant churches. And we want to go north. We don't want to go south because south is mainly uh, a lot of Christian ministries in the south. North, hardly any. So we, we, we want to find 10 strategic guys who will go and plant churches in urban settings. And we found one guy already. His name is Barnabas. He has an MDiv for, from Calvary, Master of Theology from Faith, and he's also had summer ministry experience, which means he was already involved in church plants. So we're going to go help Barnabas uh, to structure his church planting efforts. And so what we want to do is through the efforts of people like Pastor Brown, people like Rob Howell, who is out there in our city, and pe- uh, co- come come alongside us and, and create a good coaching and training environment for these guys so we can be a solid support for them as they try to plant a church. And so we want authentic churches that are self-sustaining and self-replicating. We don't want just, just churches that are always asking for money. We want churches to self 
uh, self-sustain and self-replicate, right? And so that's why, that's why we need coaching and training for the first three years. We're going to help Barnabas. And then the next ministry that we're going to be involved in is Bethesda Children's Home. Now this one, my wife usually does a fantastic job explaining this ministry, but let me tell you, tell you a little bit in a lesser fantastic way. So this one, my, my mom, when, when me and my sister came to the U.S., my mom, uh, 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 used to, you know, if you go to Bombay City, if you're driving in Bombay City, you stop at a red signal, there will be 10 or 15 kids that come to your car and they're trying to sell you stuff or they're trying to clean your car up, okay? Now, if you grew up in Bombay City, you're numb to that, okay? Kids without clothes, uh, kids dirty, that you're numb to that. You don't quite see that. The only time as an Indian I used to re- recognize, oh yeah, they are dirty and they probably don't have parents is when Americans used to come to India and point that out to me. Like, hey, does this happen often? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kids come and wipe our cars and uh, beg for food and, and uh, sell us stuff. Yeah. And, and so we were numb to that. But when Naomi and I came to the U.S., well, my mom started noticing a lot of kids and we did a little bit of statistics. There were there are thirty over thirty million orphans in India. Thirty million. And China has the most orphans who are adopted out of their situation. India had last year only two thousand five hundred kids adopted because the government makes it so difficult to adopt out kids from India. And if you've been through an adoption process, you know what I'm talking about. Right. It's so strenuous to adopt a child. And so we recognize that, hey, there are kids who we can reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ at an early age. And so my mom uh, told my dad she wanted to start a children's home. My dad said, nope, I'm, I'm going to be church planting. And so that's my focus. This has never been my focus. Social, she called it social uh, things, you know, but I believe it's gospel oriented. So, but, but um, the, my mom said, you know, uh, if I, if I promise to do it by myself uh, with the help of my friends, is that okay? My dad said, okay, go for it, but don't ask me for anything, he said. So, so she started this orphanage and she just prayed that the Lord would bring, we didn't want to go looking for him because that's a hassle, you know. Uh, the, the reason it's a hassle, if, if you go looking for them, then you have to answer the government a whole bunch of questions. But if they come to you and you're being, you're helping, the government looks at it as a good, good works, you know. So they leave you alone. So we wanted to be strategic. We didn't want to go out. And God brought five kids right off the bat. Five kids to my parents, to my mom. A, a pastor of a local church said, hey, here are the five kids. They don't have mom. They don't, uh, they have a mom. She's, she, she's alone. She doesn't have any money. Uh, they don't go to school because they do household chores to make a living. Can you take care of these kids? Send them to school. So mom started the first five, with these five kids, Bethesda Children's Home. And, uh, what we try to do is provide holistic childcare, which is a deal with all aspects of their lives, not only just the physical, you know, which is what where we go towards right off the bat we're like physically just feed them and clothe them and that's good no we want to we want to intentionally be spiritual uh so we do discipleship we want to intentionally deal with whatever trauma they're dealt with because a lot of these kids come from extremely traumatic background uh they've been beaten by people that they have trusted they've been sold to some of them sold to things uh to people like their property so they deal with stuff that we don't even we can't even imagine. So we want to deal with that as well uh, through the Bible and through counseling through the Bible. But we want to deal with that. And socially, you know, they've never known how to interact with people. Like most of these kids on the street, 
they are fighting for survival. And so they have a fighter instinct, which is good. They're not sissies. But at the same time, you need to know how to interact with people without thinking that they're going to just jip you, you know. So we, we want to teach them social skills. We, we take them to restaurants. We take them to water parks to, to see uh, there's something beyond fight fight, you know. And then finally, uh, we deal with their educational, you know, we want to provide a sound education. So Bethesda Children's Home, it started with four, ended up, we had 84. And my dad was like, too many people, it can't handle too many, this many. So we, we went down to 33. But that's this last Memorial Day weekend, a pastor from Northeast India showed up with 14 kids, Memorial Day weekend, and ages three to three to six. And uh, my mom said, what do we do? Uh, so total orphans, like no dad, no mom, no relatives, total orphans. And he had taken a 20-hour train ride from Northeast India to this children's home. And he had come, and we asked him, okay, if they're total orphans, how are they eating? Well, they haven't eaten for a couple of weeks. And so what I used to do is, uh, the pastor said, go out in the jungles, rip out some leaves, boil some water, put the leaves in that water, and feed that as soup to these kids. That's what, that's what they've had in the past two weeks. So I'm like, you know what, mom, just take them. I don't know how, how God's going to provide, but just take these kids. So we added 40, 14 more kids and we're at 57 kids, uh, 47 kids at the moment. And so, uh, you could pray for us. You know, God has provided wonderfully through uh, churches like Inner City and through other ministries, uh, for these 14 kids, but we are still looking, uh, for, and, and the church in India, we support, they support us. So this is not just an American effort, which is what we tend to think, right? We're sending the money. So what's the Indian church doing? No, no. The Indian church is fully in. We're all in with, with the little that we have, right? And so we want these kids to grow up in the fear and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In fact, here's a story of a one girl. She came, she's the first five I was mentioning. Her name is Chandni. She has three other siblings. She graduated from high school when she came. She's currently working and supporting herself and her mom. And she also professes Christianity and was baptized when I was there in India in one of our local churches. So she's actively involved in the local church. That's what we want to see with all of our kids at Bethesda Children's Home. So currently we are housing them at the Bible College and Seminary, which is pretty cramped, right? We have 120 students. There's about 40 guys in one room. You can only imagine how how constricted that can be. But we are planning to build this new home for the kids. It's apartment style living and it's a new concept for India. We want it to be family style, not institutional style. Institutional style is where you put 30 kids in one room with one caretaker. We don't think that's healthy. We want to put it, make it more like what God had family to be, right? And so we want kids raised up in this this home in apartments. So we have four different apartments in a family environment. So we're looking for caretakers for uh, uh, most likely a couple, a Christian couple, to come and, and, and take at least six to eight kids per apartment. So we're uh, currently uh, uh, constructing this. People have given. So this is where it's at through one donation, just one donation. This is how far we've taken it. So we need a, another 120 to fill uh, to finish the construction, but but we want to see family style housing done. So that's that's what we're going to be involved in in a nutshell. And so we need your prayers. Uh, Jen and I we're planning to leave to India in three weeks. Um, we told our church she's holding her head like what is going on. Uh, we we uh, we told our church 
end of May that uh, we're leaving. Uh, we didn't do any fundraising because uh, we, we knew that uh, it would be wrong to the church if we did fundraising before telling the church. So we, we waited till May. And so we've just, we've just been doing, uh, like this, uh, you know, deputation for past couple of months. But the Lord has provided wonderfully for us. And we're looking for more ministry partners. And I, I gotta tell you folks, you guys have already, as I mentioned, done so much for us through your pastor. He's such a good man. And what a great privilege for me to get to know him. I would just request you, when I call him, would you send him over, please? And let him, let him help us navigate through a church planting ministry, which he's really good at. You know, he's, he's really good at that. So what we're trying to raise is, is our monthly needs, our daily expenses to live in Mumbai. It's expensive, more expensive than, than Ypsilanti, which is where I live right now. I know some of you might think, wow, more expensive than Ipsy. Yeah, seriously, a lot more expensive than Ipsy because it is a, uh, a city where real estate is, is uh, off the roof, man. And then we need ministry expenses to live in India. So that's what we're trying to raise right now. God has already given wonderfully well. So please be praying for us. Uh, August 21st is when we want to leave. I'll be teaching New Testament introduction. Nothing even close to what Dr. Combs is capable of. But uh, in my little little uh, bitty seminary education, I'll try my best. And uh, so be praying for me as I do that. I, I So we have a, a dean of men, Dr. Johnson George, who has his... Uh, uh, doctorate from Bob Jones University, and I asked him, "Hey, can you give this to somebody else?" I'm, I'm sort of delayed, and he said, "Nope, uh, you're coming and you're teaching. I'm going to trust the Lord to provide." So I'm like, "Okay, I guess I'm coming and teaching." So uh, as soon as I get there, we'll be involved in ministry right off the bat. So be praying for us. Pray for my wife Jen. Uh, you know, we're thinking, we're you know, happy wife, happy life, right? And so I want to make sure that, I want to make sure that she's happy with the house that we're going to get and, and uh, pray for these guys uh, that are going through Pioneer Church planning. We already have two guys that are ready to go. So be praying for them as well. And pray for the Indian church. My goal, my prayer is that 30 years from now, India, Indian churches will be so, they're healthy right now, but so, so good in the urban areas that church planning is solely done in India. You know, my wife is saying, time's up. Sorry, I'm an Indian. Indian stretchable time, right? So, so, uh, pray that happens, alright? Pray that the Indian church will be healthy enough to plant more churches, uh, in India and send out missionaries to the U.S. to plant churches in ethnic areas, alright? So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for uh, giving me this privilege to share my ministry here. Uh, I pray that you would, uh, please, for your glory, bring Indian people to Christ. Give them new hearts that long and desire for the one true God of the universe, because Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And so until you're coming, keep us faithful uh, through the Great Commission where we make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And when you come, our faith will be made sight. And what a glorious day that will be. Until then, keep us faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. If you have questions for me, I'll be up here. Uh, You can ask me.